Well, you can open up in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17. Now, I'll bet that most people could probably tell you what 1 Samuel 17 is about without even turning there. And, you know, I always like to look back and see some, some things we've been going over. Do you know we have never taken on 1 Samuel 17 by itself? I was kind of surprised at that. Usually we're always tying it in with chapter 16 and chapter 13 and some other things that we've tied it into. So this will actually be the first time we're only looking at chapter 17. Very famous story. Of course, David and Goliath. But we're going to spend some time on that because there is, every time I, I knew we had to do some more things in the past. And, and every time I would go back to this, the picture I kept having was, was David in this battle. Ah, oh, everybody knows this one story. Come on, I'm going to, Find something else. And I, I would think of some other stories and that would have some of these things, but I keep coming back to David and the things he did. There is no story greater for some of these principles than this one right here. So we're going to take a look at 1 Samuel chapter 17. Last week we were looking at the man born blind. He was born as a result of something in the past. The disciples blamed it on sin. Jesus said, no, that's not it. He was born that way. He was called several times the man formerly blind. It's kind of nice to put your past behind you. Few people tried to call him the blind man. But that didn't stick after he was healed. You see, when you get away from something in your past, you got to also refuse its title. Don't let that thing hang on you. 1 Samuel 17. Didn't get to say that part last Sunday. I want to make sure I got that to you here today. 1 Samuel 17, verse 1. This is the story, of course, of, of David as he faced Goliath. And we will refer to some things that went on the back, uh, back behind this. I know that every time we go over these things, you know, not everybody was here for the stuff that went on before. So we'll go over some of the things that are uh, that you may be familiar with, but also some things that you may not be. In 1 Samuel 17 and verse 1, Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle. This is one of the reasons we always go to the chapters behind, because this is where Saul missed it. When they were gathering, the Philistines were gathering a battle and he was having a, a tough time with some of the things that were going on with that. And were gathered together at Sokal, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Sokal and Azekah in Ephes, Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. So the Philistines were gathered together. They were a very intimidating force. They generally uh, always outnumbered the Israelites. They had more and, and fiercer weapons of warfare than they did. But as we see this scene where the, the battle is, is coming up, Verse 4 comes in and a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath whose height was six cubits and a span. Now in case you didn't know how tall that was I put that right in your outline there for you. Nine and a half feet. A cubit is 18 inches. So if you do the uh, the math that you all learned in high school that you never get a chance to use you can use it right here. If a cubit is 18 inches what's that make a span? Six inches. Did it for you real fast. So he was about nine and a half feet tall. Now some folks uh, in some translations actually tried to shorten this and make him shorter. And they made him to an area of around six and a half feet tall. 
Now, if you had a man six and a half feet tall, how many of you would call that a giant? I'd call him tall, but I wouldn't call him a giant. Some people call me tall. I'm kind of average. But it seems like a lot of people that I, I ran into, I'm just a little bit taller than they are. But I'm only six one. You know, you, you, there's other people out there, you know, six six, I'm looking up to that, six eight, seven foot. I mean, these are some big people. But he's a lot bigger than that. Nine and a half feet tall. So you take half of me, put it on top, and I'm still not quite there. So this is what they, they called a giant. Now, if you're not familiar with Scripture and what a giant is, there are two times that giants appeared in Scripture, or appeared in mankind. Actually, Scripture talks about them. The first time, we're given the, the full instruction of what happened that says that the, uh, uh, the, the fallen angels had come down with the daughters of men, and they had babies. And these babies in the Old Testament uh, were huge in size, the ones we were, we were given uh, count of. The Noah's first flood was was given to destroy these giants. Now, if you wonder why the devil did that, why he got fallen angels to go out there and mess with this and, and do so, it's because he needed to pervert the seed. In order for Jesus to be the Christ and be born, he had to be born of 100% human seed. Otherwise, he couldn't be the savior of, of the people if he was not 100% human. And so the devil's plan was to pervert the seed. And the first time uh, when he did this, they um, uh, they nearly succeeded. Most of the world was perverted in its seed. And if you notice uh, in the book of, of Genesis, if you go back there, you can go back there and read this for yourself. We're not going to go back there right now. But if you look at it, it says that Noah was perfect in his generations. That means his generations had no giant blood in him. It didn't mean that he was perfect, the only righteous person on the earth. He was perfect in his generations. His bloodline was pure. So beside that, he was also one who served God. Now, you see, you had to have two qualifications to get on the ark. You had to, first off, be one who served God, and secondly, be one who was pure in your generations. So there may have been some people on the earth who served God, but were not pure in their generations. I don't know that. I'm just telling you that it's possible, and they would have died in the flood because God had to wipe out all that. So the devil's plan was uh, was wiped out, and uh, and Noah was, uh, of course, sent to replenish the earth. Even other religions beside Christianity all talk about a flood. And uh, science has actually gone back through and they've proved it. I don't want to get into all that sort of stuff right now. But the flood was not caused by the rain. The flood had other causes that were, that were there. Um, um, they say they can tell from some of the scarring that had happened that what was uh, going on was an asteroid that came very, very close to Earth, pulled the water up into a huge wave, which bears uh, with the Hebrew. The Hebrew says that the waters were coming and going. In the Hebrew, it actually says that way. They don't translate it that way in the English, but it actually does say that the Hebrew wording that is used there for that. So the and that's how the ark ended up on a mountain because the wave that had uh, was going around the earth was enough to wipe out the uh, humanity that was on anything that breathed had to be on the ark. But you notice how the plants still survived because they weren't underwater for all that time. They were only underwater for a short period of time when that wave went on by. But everything, even on the highest mountain, was able to be covered. And that's how that was that was done. That was the second flood of the earth. That was not the first flood. The first flood occurred before Genesis chapter 1. And Peter talks about that in the Bible, the flood that destroyed the world that then was. But anyway, that's all sorts of other stuff. If any of that's new for you, let me know. We can certainly go over to, to the Bible and just tell us these things. But, uh, of course, that's not going to change your life. 
let's get into some things here that will change your life. So this is where the giants came from. After uh, they were wiped out, the devil talked another group of uh, fallen angels into doing the same thing. And so they came down and most of these giants were in the land of Canaan, which is why God said you need to go in there and you need to wipe them out. You need to wipe out women and children. It's not that God had it in for the kids. It's because that uh, uh, perverted blood was in there and they could not have that come in. In order to in order to redeem mankind, all of it had to be wiped out. So Saul had that commission. The kings had that commission. David had that commission and so did others in Israel. They had that commission to wipe out the giants. They didn't do it. When Saul was brought in, he was commissioned to do so, and he backed off from some of it. He was a little fearful. But anyway, a lot of them had been wiped out, but not all of them. So what we have at this point is that there are five giants left on the earth. One of them is named Goliath. There's, the Bible doesn't say that there's five. What it tells you is that Goliath has four brothers. And I can give you the scriptures if anyone's ever interested in that. I give you the scriptures. The Bible names all four brothers and where they were. And uh, and they, of course, are, are wiped out at other times. David also steps in for, for that. But that's where the giants come from. That's why we have... Uh, now, this is later on after the, the perverted blood had gotten in there. So uh, Goliath is actually a much shorter giant than most are. He's only nine and a half feet tall. We had one guy, King Og. His bed was 20 feet. His bed was 20 feet long. I don't know how big he was. It just says that that's how big his bed was. Can you imagine going up a guy against a guy who has a 20 foot, uh, 20 foot long bed? I mean, what do you do with that? Holy cow. And uh, when you say that the Israelites were fear because the giants were in the land, this is what they were talking about. These were, these were the people that were there. And at that point, they were much, much larger than they were in David's time. Nine and a half feet, they're getting shorter because it's less of the perverted blood than as they, as they go along. Anyway, don't want to do all that to confuse you, but just want to let you know where the giants come from, who they are. And he had, let's see, that's verse five. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. I didn't look that up. I should have, uh, for you because um, I don't know why I didn't. But anyway, it's uh, extraordinary heavy. <laughs> he had a bronze armor in his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels and a shield bearer went before him. In other words, if you tried to carry this stuff, you probably couldn't. He fought with it. Verse uh, 8, Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man from among, from yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now you can debate this all you want to. If the Philistines put a guy up there or one of their guys went over and defeated him, um, what do you think the likelihood is that they would just surrender? <laughs> Probably not. I don't think Philistines are people of their word. <laughs> but they're gonna, they know that Israel is. So it's, it's nice to enter into a covenant when you know you won't hold your word, but the other people will. We, we see that a lot today. So he gives a challenge. He says, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Because here's this guy, nine and a half feet tall, he's got all this armor, big guy. 
And um, they were afraid. They were greatly afraid. They were in dismay. This is what these words caused in them. Have you ever had a giant in your life that caused you to dismay? Become in fear? Now, see, your giant doesn't have to be another person. Your giant can be a sickness or a disease. Your giant can be a condition. Your giant could be a sad circumstance in your life. Or something that you felt like should have happened that didn't happen. Economic problems. They can be all sorts of things, but it's a giant in your life and it seems a lot bigger than you are. Haven't <laughs> you been in there with those kind of situations? And that, that giant in your life is talking to you. How many have ever heard from your giant? <laughs> you got a giant in your life. You've heard from that. That giant's trying to talk to you. He's trying to tell you some stuff. You're not going to get over this financial crisis. You're not going to get over this sadness in your life. You're not going to get over this turmoil. You're not going to get over this job challenge. You're not going to get over these people in your life. It's telling you stuff. Now, every fight has to have a villain. Every fight has to have an enemy. And every fight also has to have a hero. That's our David. Now, David was the son of an Ephronite of Bethlehem, Judah whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, and the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul in the battle. The names of the three sons who went into battle were Eliab, the firstborn next to him, Abinadab, and third, Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. So, do the math. He's got eight sons. Three of them have gone. That means five are at home. He's the youngest. So he has four brothers that are still at home, but are not old enough to go to war. If they were old enough to go to war, they probably would have gone to war. So how old do you think David is? So think about this. You've got eight sons. Three of them are of an age to be in battle. The rest of them are not. And David is the youngest of them. <laughs> now, the, his father didn't think a whole lot of them. You remember the story when he, when David was anointed? The... Prophet Samuel comes and he says, uh, bring your sons out here. He brings seven of them. And uh, he comes to the first one, Eliab, and he looks at him and says, God says, no, I'm not with him. He's not the one. And he goes to the second one because Samuel even said when he saw the first one, the, the oldest, he said, oh, I can see God anointing this one. This guy looks like a warrior. I mean, this guy looks, he's... He's everything you would think about as a warrior. He's just, uh, he's there. This, this has got to be God's guy. He was looking by an appearance. This is Samuel the prophet looking at appearance and God says, uh-uh, that's not him. You look at the outside. I look at the heart. This guy is not, not it. Goes to the second son. Nope. Goes to the third son. Nope. Goes to the fourth son. Nope. Fifth son. No. Sixth son. No. Seventh son. No. All seven sons he brought, God says, No. Samuel says, man, you brought me here. He's got his son. So you said no to all of them. You got to be confused if you're Samuel. So he goes to his father in the story. He says, do you have any more sons? <laughs> How many of you would do that? Did you forget one? Well, we have one. He's, uh, you know, he watches the sheep. And you get the attitude that was there present in the home that mom and dad, or at least dad, we never see that mom comes to his defense. But dad did not think very highly of his youngest son. And how many have ever heard David talk about that he killed a lion and a bear? The reason he keeps talking about it is because when he came home and told the story, Mom, Dad, there was a lion that came out to kill a sheep and I took the, the lamb right out of its mouth and then it came after me and I killed it. 
Then they said, yeah, sure. They didn't believe him. Come on out of that. Come on, I'll show you the lion. He takes him on down there. He shows them the lion. They say, this lion was dead before. You're just lying to us. And then he, he goes and a bear comes. A bear. Come on, a bear is coming. And this bear grabs a sheep. Has it in its mouth. Ready to eat the sheep. And David comes and said, you're not eating my sheep. And he goes and he saves the sheep and kills the bear. And uh, comes home for dinner. Oh, they're going to be so excited when they hear about this. I killed a bear today. David, we've heard these stories. We don't believe these stories. Why do you keep bringing these stories to us? Please, I'll take you. I'll show you the bear. Maybe they went down. Maybe they didn't. We've got a dead lion and a dead bear. If you had a son who killed a lion and a bear and the prophet comes to anoint one of your sons, the king, how many of you are bringing that son? See, they don't believe him. David went through his whole life with some of the greatest accomplishments he had and his own family didn't believe him. Now, if your dad doesn't believe, what do you think happens to the boys? The boys will immediately side with the dad. And there's an attitude, and you're going to see it in this story. There's an attitude between his brothers and him. And they feel perfectly fine putting David down because they can do it at home and nobody stands up to him because no one respects David. In fact, they give him a job that is not usually attended to by one of the sons. But they don't think that much of David. They don't have high hopes for David. He's always out there playing on that harp. I mean, what good can come from a guy who plays on a harp? He's one of those creative types, one of those musicians. They didn't have a whole lot of expectation for him. So David is by himself. And if you had that kind of attitude at the family, how many of you know by yourself is a good place? He probably preferred to be by himself than with his whole family because of the things that would go on. So he's over there by himself and he is fellowshipping with the Father. He is, he is worshiping the Lord. He's playing that harp and he's singing and he's finding out who he is in God. And when that lion comes up and when that bear comes up, he goes out there and he tears them apart. I am a child of the Most High God. You don't dare come and take my sheep. That's the attitude that grew in him. This is how he was. Where do we leave off? Verse 14. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep. Uh, now what would happen if you go back into the stories, David had gone and, and he would go to, to Saul and he had some interaction with him back and forth and uh, do some things in ministry there. But then um, he would come home and when he come home, even though you had a son who was in the presence of the king, you put him back out there with the sheep. It's because of the attitude that was there. If you ever grew up in a home where you thought your mom and dad didn't like you a whole lot, where people treated you bad, treated you with disrespect and thought that's holding you back, it did not hold David back. And he's gone on to some, some good places here. If it didn't hold him back, it doesn't have to hold you back. It can hold you back, but it doesn't have to. 
Verse 16, And the Philistines drew near and presented him, himself forty days, morning and evening. Forty days this is going on. Can you imagine two armies sitting up there for battle and nobody's going into battle? Every morning this guy gets up. He makes his uh, pronouncement. Come on. Somebody come out here and fight me. And nobody would. Every evening he'd come out. Somebody come out here and fight me. And he'd uh, condemn them. Desecrate even the Father. The God of Israel. Forty days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves. And run to your brothers at the camp. Carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. He's sending them out to the battle line. Now, if you were going to send somebody out to a dangerous place, how many of you are sending the youngest of the family? Would you do that? Now, Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Didn't sound like a whole lot of fighting was going on. Just sounded like a whole lot of challenges were going on. It Not much was happening. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. Seems like David took responsibility for what was his and he took it upon himself to find somebody to watch over their sheep while he was gone. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array army against army and David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. So his brothers are down there with the army and David's not afraid of this thing. He goes right on out there where the army is. He wants to see what's going on. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines and he spoke according to the same words so David heard them. This is the first he's hearing that these other guys have heard it all the time. Now, it says that when he would speak these words, they would all get in fear and dismay. Now, if you were one of the three brothers of David that is there, and you know that challenge is coming up. Has it gone on for 40 days? The Word of God has said. You know it's coming this morning. And here's David. David's going to hear this challenge. Would you not want to get him away? But you see, his brothers have an idea. You've been talking about Bears and lions. Let's show you what a real fight is. This is what we face. Giants. Not bears. Not lions. We face giants. I think they wanted him to hear this challenge. I think they wanted him to feel the same fear that everyone else felt. That the same fear that they did. This guy who's supposedly killer of lions and killer of bears. Let's see how he stacks up when he sees something. No one ever saw him take them on. We just heard about him telling about it. Let's take a look and see what he does in the face of a real battle. And so this challenge is uh, given. I bet his three brothers are just standing there watching David while this is happening. Let's just see. Let's just see. Have you ever done that with somebody? Just watched to see if they would respond? I think I told you the story about this before, but I had that happen one time. We went to the movies. How many remember when Jaws came out? Anybody go see the movie Jaws? No other heathens here but me? A couple. A couple other heathens here. <laughs> we went out to this one. My sister and her friend, uh, they had gone to see this movie before. And so it was their second time through. And I was known as a, as a young man who had no emotional, no emotion reaction. I just had no emotional reaction. They just, they just loved to see if I could get any kind of emotional reaction out of me. So we had a bet 
this, uh, this uh, friend of hers made a bet with me. She said, I'll bet you you cannot keep your eyes open for the whole movie. That was all the bet. It was not that I would make any shrilly noises or anything like that. It was just because I knew that wouldn't happen. But they say, we bet that you cannot keep your eyes open for the whole movie. And so um, let me see how many, how many people have never seen the movie Jaws. All right, you'll have no idea what I'm talking about here. But there's this particular scene. If you've seen the movie, you know this particular scene. There's a scene in this movie where the, the shark had attacked this boat. And apparently he had killed the people that were on the boat. But uh, they came up from under it. The scuba divers came up from under it. And they were reaching into the hole. It was in the boat. And out came. Everybody remember what came out? Out came ahead. Just kind of rolled right on down there. Now, I'm watching the movie. They're watching me. They're not watching. They already know what happens here. They're watching me. I closed my eyes for a second. I said, oh. <laughs> Just went like that. And they said, ah, you lost. That was it. That was the whole reaction in the movie. But I lost. So I had a, whatever the bet was, I don't know what it was. I, I had to pay up. <laughs> but I'm sure that they're doing that. They're just watching David. Let's see what kind of response he's got here. Because they know what kind of response they have. And every single one of these people in the army is afraid. Remember Eliab? He is uh, supposed to be a, I mean, a good-looking warrior. Samuel was impressed with him. So David heard them. So, let's read that again. Then as he talked with them, there was a champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words, so David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled with from him, and were dreadfully afraid. Now, it would seem like of all the men of Israel, that would include the brothers. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Okay, this is not the reaction the brothers were thinking. This is not what he was supposed to do. He's the young punk kid who lies about killing lions and bears. Makes up stories. He's in a real fight now. We're going to see him be afraid. And he's not. He said, what's going to happen? He likes this. He said, first off, I get a wife. I get to marry into the king's family. That sounds good. Um, I'm going to be enriched with great riches. Boy, that sounds awesome. And look at this one. And give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. If you, the youngest son, who has been despised by your father all your life, can bring home to him, Dad, you don't have to pay any taxes anymore because I killed the giant. How many of you are thinking my father will finally love me? And so he goes on and says, what's going to happen? What will happen? He goes on and he asks other people. And the people... Answer him in the same manner, saying, So it shall be done for the man who kills him. Now, Eliab, his, his uh, oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And his anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and your insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. In other words, you didn't have the reaction you're supposed to. You're not afraid. You're supposed to be afraid. We're afraid. And we're men of war. Why are you not afraid? 
Why are you going around here asking all these questions? Why are you saying things like, who is he to defy the armies of the living God? No one else is talking like this. We got this punk kid going around, talking in this way, and around all these men of war who have faced battle, who have gone into hand-to-hand combat and have killed people. And you're going to tell them Who is this man? This uncircumcised Philistine. He didn't speak very highly of him. He didn't speak like he was afraid. And uh, word got around. Now understand this. His father saw him as a shepherd. Right now he sees him as a messenger. That's about all his father saw him as. His brother underestimated his motive. You're not here for the right reasons. You're here because you want to see the battle. Go home and said, hey, I was in the battle. You'll probably even go home and tell dad you killed a couple of people. We know that you didn't. Saul under, underestimated his ability. Saul's going to come and he's going he's to think you're just a kid. And Goliath, when he finally meets him, he's going to underestimate his opponent. A lot of underestimation going on. Verse 29, and David said, what have I done now? In other words, this is not the first time he yelled at him in this way. What have I done now? Is there not a cause that he turned from him toward another and said the same thing and these people answered him at the first ones did? So he keeps going around. I don't care what the Philistine said. I heard that. I heard that one time. That's all I need to hear it. I'm going around. What did the, what did the king say? What did the king say he's going to do? All right. So you, I got the story from you. Now, how about you? Uh-huh. Same thing. All right. How about you? Uh-huh. Same thing. He keeps going around asking other people. Is this what's going to be done? And so eventually word gets back. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. So he said, uh, Saul, we got this kid going around, and he's not talking about this giant like everybody else is talking about him. He's talking about it like some uncircumcised Philistine who has defiled the army of God. No one else is talking like this. Saul said, really? I wonder why he's talking like that. How old is he? He's just a young punk kid. Huh. Well, bring him over here. Let me talk to him. So he gets Saul's attention. Now, this is how observant Saul is. He's already been in his presence many times, playing the harp and doing things. He's already been doing this on a, on a regular basis. Uh, he comes and goes in his presence. And Saul apparently takes so little note of the people that are around him trying to help him that he doesn't even recognize them when he comes in. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Now, if you can think back, you know, when I was a kid growing up, one of the cartoons we used to watch, maybe you did too if you were, if you were I don't even think it's on anymore. How many, anybody watch Underdog? Sure. <laughs> I watched Underdog when I was a kid. And you remember what he would always say? Never fear, Underdog is here. So this is what David is saying. Never fear, David is here. <laughs> Look at this answer. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Tell all you guys to relax. I'll take this. I got it. (laughs) This little punk kid. Coming on in. I got this one. You tell all your people, all your folks out there, they don't need to be afraid anymore. I am here. (laughs) Now, if you had a little kid who showed up on the scene, how many of you are going to underestimate him too? 
You see, the army's eyes are on things happening in the natural realm. David sees things in the, that have been set in motion in the spiritual realm. And he knows because this Philistine has called out God's people in this way, he has put a mark on his head. All he needs to do is go in there and claim it. Nobody else saw that. Everybody else is looking at the natural. Let's look how tall he is. Let's look how, look at that armor he's got. Oh, I just, how can we face that? David's not looking at the natural. He's looking at the spiritual realm. You, as my enemy, have tried to bring shame on God's people and have no respect for our God. You have condemned yourself. I'm just going in and cleaning it up. And getting credit for it and getting the money and getting the wife and getting the tax free for dad. He's going to claim that. Don't think he's going to be taking the high road and say, oh, you keep it. No, no, no. Give it to me. <laughs> he has a little problem with the wife thing, but he eventually gets over that. See, for them, this all produced fear of something. For David, the same thing, exact same thing, same words, same person, same giant, the same exact thing produced faith in him. But no one else did it. Verse 33, And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of his war from his youth. How many people, when you have taken on a giant in your life, have people around you saying, You can't do that. Always lots of people around who say, You can't do that. Saul said to David, You are not able to against this Philistine. To fight with him? For you are just a youth. You're just a young boy. And he's been a warrior since he was a young boy. Because when he was a young boy, he was a whole lot taller than most of the young boys his age. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep. Now remember, he just left this. Didn't he? But he's already using this in the past tense. I used to be a shepherd. Because he knows when he kills this giant, he will no longer be a shepherd. So he already sees it as done. I used to be a shepherd. Yeah, up till yesterday when I left. <laughs> I love that line. He's telling it to the king. Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it, delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard, struck it and killed it. So in other words, I saved the sheep first. I was going to let the lion go. But he came after me. So he had to die. <laughs> Just casual. I wouldn't let him go. I wasn't afraid of him. Your servant has killed both lion and bear and the uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. How many times have you heard in the story of David, that he killed a lion and a bear. How many of you would say more than five times? And over and over again, don't you hear it repeated? Lion and bear. We know that David killed a lion. We know he killed a bear. We know he killed a giant. Do you know that the order never changes? Every time you see this story, every time you see David refer to it, every time it's referred to in Scripture, every single time, I killed a lion I killed a bear. And this Philistine will be just like them. 
Now, when, when Scripture repeats something, doesn't it mean to do it for a reason? What is the possible reason for lion and bear being repeated? Now, you've been around here for a while, you know. But there's a reason for it. Because when Israel became a nation again, they faced several en- enemies. In fact, according to the Scriptures, they still have one more enemy to face. But they have already faced two enemies. Do you know what the first enemy was? Against them becoming a nation again after the war, after the World War II, you know that they became a nation. You know what the first enemy was they faced? The first enemy they faced may surprise you because most people do not realize that Britain was against Israel becoming a nation at first. They fought against it. Now they eventually left whatever uh, problems they had and they actually were one of the ones instrumental in, in helping them to uh, take Palestine, the, the land that's called Palestine, uh, Israel, to take it back. Do you know who opposed them after Britain got on their side? After World War II? It was the Soviet Union. Russia. What is the symbol of Britain? The lion. The lion. What is the symbol of the Soviet Union? The now in the end times, they're going to face the most awful of all enemies. This is going to be the Antichrist. This is going to be the forces of Satan. In fact, it even says that the Antichrist, that Satan comes and is part with him. Isn't that just like a giant? The forces of evil mixed with the human race? This is prophetic what Israel would face. They would face opposition against the lion. They would face opposition against the bear. And yet both of those would be slain. And this Philistine will be just like them. (laughs) You see, this hasn't happened yet. But when it does, this Philistine will be just like them. And when they rise up against them in that war before or right around the beginning of the tribulation period and Israel takes on enemies, no one believes they can win. And yet, they win that battle easily. Create a huge power gap. And we can get on with that and talk about all the things that would happen from there. But anyway... This, there's nothing wasted in the Word of God. This is, uh, this is symbolic. David could not have known this. He just he had a lion come in his life. He took care of it. He had a bear come in his life. He took care of it. But God says, I want, I want people to see this. My man. <laughs> he took on. He took on the lion. He took on the bear and he killed him. And Jesus Christ is the son of who? Remember what they remember what our blind guy called him? Jesus, son of Son of David. Because it's the son of David who would be the Messiah. Alright. Let's go on with our story here. In case you can't tell, this is one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. I love David and Goliath. Every time I get to dig into it, there's just some some more stuff to to enjoy out of it. So I used to keep my father's sheep. Lion and bear and so forth. Your servant, verse 36, has killed both lion and bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. So he put that mark on his own head. I didn't have to do it. It's already there. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with you. What did Saul have to see 
to allow his nation to ride on this young lad who he's got the story that his parents didn't even believe. Somehow Saul does. Saul sees something in this man he hasn't seen in anyone. This man has such faith and confidence in God. And remember, the anointing of king is on him already. Now, David spoke in future tense. Take a look at this. The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. He will deliver me because of what has gone on in the past. Because of what has gone on in the past, this will go on in the future. You see, David sees a pattern. This is a pattern, and he wants to keep that pattern going. He spoke in future tense about the man, the giant. He will be just like one of those, just like the lion and just like the bear. He will be just like the lion. He will be just like the bear. Just as God delivered them into my hand, he will deliver him into my hand. Seeing that he has defiled the armies of Israel. That's past tense. You see, he's looking at this situation. He knows past tense, this man has said something that has put a mark on his head. So that in the present, he's a dead man walking. But in the future, this man will be delivered to me. Can you see how he got all of that? He's got the past and he's got the future. But he doesn't ever get past, he doesn't ever look past what has gone on in the past. What has happened in the past, it is just setting the stage for what is going on in the future. I have one of my favorite quotes I ever have, I've ever heard, I've mentioned it a number of times, I think here, even to people individually. I just love this quote. It comes right out of this story. If there are if there are lions and bears in your present, it may mean there are giants in your future. Don't get scared. Don't feel like, how come I am being picked on? Why do I have to face these lions and bears? If you've got lions and bears in your present, folks, it may mean that there's a giant in your future. How would you like to be a giant killer? How would you like for God to call upon you to be a giant killer? Don't ever look at what's in your present. It's too much for you. Why do I have to bear this? Why do I have to go through this? Because pretty soon what's in your present is going to be part of your past. And then you can look back on your past and say, here's my pattern of victory. God has delivered me from the lion. God has delivered me from the bear. And God will deliver me from this one too. The same way. The Lord who delivered me from the lion and the bear will deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. See, he sees the pattern. The army sees the giant, but David sees the victory. Saul talks about the obstacles, but David gives voice to the victory. He's speaking it. God will deliver me from him. This is a pattern, something of the past, 
It will happen again in the future. Verse 38. Because every battle, every fight has to have a battle. So Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head and he clothed him with a coat of mail. And David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk for he had not tested them. Now remember, Saul's a tall guy. He stood head and shoulders above the rest of the people. So if he's got armor, it's for a tall man. And David's, he's short. He's a kid. So you put a tall man's armor under a short kid. Even if it is the king's armor, I'm sure he might be saying, man, I get to wear the king's armor. It's kind of, you know, a little bit long, a little heavy, and he could barely walk in it. David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Saul was trying to put some stuff on David, get them ready. But he rejected them. He has no history with them. Eventually, he's going to have a history with a sword, helmet, all the armor. He's going to have a history with that eventually, but right now he doesn't have a history with it. He hasn't been fitted with it. He hasn't had a chance to, to work with it. So he'll later accept that he's, you know, he'll eventually use them. But for now, he will walk in what he has used and what has brought him the victory in the past. I put this in your outline for you. Don't use other people's armor. Use what you have walked in. You ever hear people do this? Well, I heard so-and-so, they, they prayed this way, so I'm going to pray this way. Well, I know so-and-so, they did this and it worked, so I'm going to do that. See, you're putting on somebody else's armor. You've never walked in it. You've never tried it. David went out to battle, biggest battle of his life up till then, with what he was used to, which was pretty much, pretty much nothing and a sling. No sword. No spear. No shield. Would you go out and fight somebody who has a big old spear and a big old sword? With no shield? How many of you would ride a bike without a helmet? (laughs) (laughs) Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose himself five smooth stones from the brook. So, why the staff? what he has when he goes out and takes care of the sheep. He's got the staff. So he's got the staff, five smooth stones. If you're wondering why he picked up five smooth stones, it's because one stone is for Goliath and guess what the other four are for? His four brothers. Because you see, they had the right of revenge in this day and age. They were a relative. If you take out my relative, I can take you out. So he knew the four brothers might be coming after him. So he's got one stone for Goliath four of the stones for the other brothers. That's why the Bible tells you how many stones he got. He didn't get five because he's intending to miss. <laughs> well, if I missed the first one, I got a couple other, couple other uh, to go. He put them in his shepherd's bag. So he's got his shepherd's bag, his shepherd's staff, and the, and the sling. Everything, he's ready to go out there and take care of sheep. He put them in a shepherd's bag and a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, 
He disdained him. He was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. So the guy, he's coming out for battle. He's like, we're finally going to get this battle. And he sees David coming. He just figures, well, this must be the, you know, the armor bearer. I don't know what he is, but I don't know why he's here. But where's the guy who's coming out for battle? He's looking around. He doesn't see anybody but David. And he's offended. You guys think so little of me that this is what you're going to send out? So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Because he had a shepherd's staff. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Probably one of the most well-known statements <laughs> in, in the Bible. We know that one pretty well. He said, come to me. And you're not even worth me going to you. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcass of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Now he's saying right there, he is declaring this, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. This is it. Right now, the Lord will, that's future. He already sees him as a dead man, but he's still talking, the Lord will. You see, it's not bad for you to say the Lord will do something for me, even though you believe he already got it. You're already dead. You already delivered to me. But he still talks to you because he's not dead yet. So this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you and take your head from you. How is he going to strike him? With the sling, right? How is he going to take his head off? He has no sword. The only sword on that battlefield belongs to Goliath. What David is saying is, I'm going to strike you. I'm going to take your own sword. And I'm going to cut your head off with your sword. <laughs> That's some big talk, isn't it? And this day I will give the carcass, carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air. The carcasses. In other words, I'm not stopping with you. Once you're dead, we're going after more. And we're going to give your carcasses to the birds. That's some tough talk. You may have heard me tell the story before, but you know, when Lamar and I, we used to be able to play hockey every week. We had that going on. And um, they, they never let us be on the same team uh, very most of the time because they didn't want to chase both of us. They would only want to chase one of us. So they would let us chase each other. <clears throat> and they thought that was good because no one else ran around there as much as he and I did. Now, he's faster than me. But um, I just kept going after him. And <laughs> so we'd always be chasing. So it was always, we were almost always on the opposite team. And we would come up there and we would face off. And we are both right-handed people who play hockey left-handed. Both of us. We have so many similarities between us two. It's, um, it's unbelievable. But that's one of them. He's right-handed. I'm right-handed. We both play with left-handed hockey sticks. So when we come to the face-off, 
If you have a left-handed hockey stick up against a right-handed hockey stick, because most people are right-handed, use a right-handed hockey stick. I don't know what happened to him. I don't know what happened to me. We both got stuck with left-handed hockey sticks. We learned left-handed, and that's just how we play. It feels weird for us to play right-handed, even though we're, we're right-handed people. So when we go to the face-off, there's only a few that are left-handed. And generally, if you have a lefty in on the face-off, you wouldn't have a lefty in the other side, because it is awkward if you've got a righty and a lefty. It's just, it just comes up weird. And so um, we're always facing off with each other. And he talked trash to me. <laughs> he talked trash to his pastor. We were, there, we were talking trash back and forth. He'd tell me what he was going to do ahead of time. And so I'd quote scripture. <laughs> I quoted scripture at him. And I'd pull it right from the, pull right from the Old Testament, the book of Kings, came out of the mouth of Ahab. Now, he's not always the best one to quote, but he's got a great quote. He says, let not him who takes off his armor or puts on his armor boast like him who takes it off. In other words, don't boast until you've done it. That's basically what he was saying. Don't go bragging around until you've done it. So I'd always quote that at him. So, you know, it didn't stop him. He's still trash talk. <laughs> but we did it in fun. We had a good, a good fun with it. It was, it was nothing... Uh, Nothing bad natured or, or, uh, and it wasn't trash talk like the other guys did. In fact, they probably would laugh at our trash talk. <laughs> but anyway, they're having some, David and, and Goliath, they're having some trash talking between them. And they're saying some things. And, uh, the Philistine came down, began drawing near to David, the man who bore the shield with him. And when David the Philistine looked about and saw David, I'm sorry, we already read over that part. Where are we at? Verse, uh, 45? 47. Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hastened and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. So the Philistine guy, he get up, he starts walking towards David, and David says, we're having none of this. He starts running toward him. He's going to close the gap. He starts running towards the giant. He starts running towards what everyone else was running away from, David is running towards it. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone. He doesn't do this ahead of time. How many of you, if you were going in this battle, you've already got that one stone in your hand. He doesn't have it in his hand. Because this is what he's used to. He doesn't walk around with a stone in his hand ready to kill a lion or a bear. When he sees a lion or a bear, he reaches in. He grabs a stone, puts it in the sling. So it's all one motion. He reaches in, puts it in, winds it up. Whoa. That's his motion. That's how he, he knows how to do it. And so he waits until he's on his way. He's running. While he's running, he reaches in, grabs hold of this stone, loads up the sling, starts going, and wow, sends that thing off. And he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on the face to the earth. So he hit him straight on in the head, knocked him out, did not kill him. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Now remember, this guy has a helmet on. He's got a helmet on, but that stone hit a spot where that helmet didn't protect him. Now, one thing, David is a good shot. But the Lord had delivered him in his hand. <laughs> so David prevailed over the Philistine and sling with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. 
Now he's carrying around the head here in just a little bit. How do you think he's carried around the head? <laughs> he knocks him out. He gets it. Now let's read in verse 51. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him. In other words, the Philistine had not even pulled his sword out of his sheath before David had him on the ground. Now, he also had a spear. He may have been leading him with the spear and the sword was next. So he probably had the spear out, but he didn't get to use anything and the sword is still in the sheath. So when he comes on over, this guy is knocked out so cold, David is able to go over, pull the sword out and then stand over him and cut off his head. That's how out he is. So he drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and the gates of Ekron. Remember what they promised? If you guys kill our champion, we surrender. I don't see any surrendering going on. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sherim even as far as Gath and Ekron. And the, and the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their tents and David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. He still carried a head around. <laughs> but he put his armor in his tent. So he took the armor of the Philistine, put it in his tent, but he's carrying around the head. When Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? We're, this is a flashback. David David is on the battlefield moving towards the giant. And Saul is up there watching with Abner. And he says to Abner, whose son is this guy? And Abner says, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. <laughs> so the king said, inquire whose son this young man is. Now, David is still going into the battle. But apparently he's going in with such confidence and something that just says, Saul says, man, this guy's got this. we got to find out who this son, who his father is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of Philistine in his hand. <laughs> he's, he's carrying around his head. He's like, hey guys. <laughs> I wonder if he went up to his, his older brother. Hey, Eliab, what do you think of this, huh? <laughs> did this one just die on its own too? Or did I kill this one? Do you believe me that I killed this one? <laughs> so David returned. Abner goes and he gets him and he brings him into Saul. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. So now we, we know who it is. So David's feeling pretty good right now, but you don't really get anything from the story that he's any more excited now than he was at the beginning. Well, he's sure carrying that head around, isn't he? For many Christians, the teaching of God's word, God's word becomes formulas performed instead of principles lived. So the power never manifests. You got to make, just like David did, you got to make the things you learn from the Word of God not become formulas that you just perform. 
in the name of Jesus, this has to be done. For some people, it's just a formula. You have to get it to where it's your life. This is what you live. David lived this. So much so that when a lion came up, he said, I'm a child of God. You have no right taking my sheep. When a bear came up, I am a child of God. You have no right taking my, my sheep. And when a Philistine came up, though he was a giant, you have no right defiling the armies of, of my God. This is how he lived. This is nothing new for him. And this is why it works so, so well for him. The events of your past and the declarations you have made, they will affect your future. We especially run into this when you find people who, um, who are dying, they're on their deathbed, and they can't really say a whole lot. But in the, in the past, they have uttered words. When we have uttered words of failure, well, I just think this, whatever it is, is going to kill me. When you have uttered those words and they are on their deathbed, don't think that for a moment that you can undo those. Those are their words. But when they have uttered words of faith and confidence, it changes things. Even if they can't speak, they have declared some things because they lived them, they believed them. The things that you say, folks, the things you declare, it's going to change your future. Don't let the enemy talk you into making uh, useless declarations. Well, I don't think I'll ever be successful. I don't think this will ever work for me. I'm just always so depressed. I just can never seem to get the victory over this. I guess I'll have this all the days of my life. I think this thing is going to kill me. These are declarations that people can make. Don't make those declarations. You don't need to make those declarations. You don't need to give power to the enemy. What you need to do is you need to face your Goliath. You need to speak to that the way God has said. This uncircumcised Philistine will be just like that lion, just like that bear. And you see, folks, God has given you opportunity to have victories in some small things. He wants you to remember it. We've encouraged you before. Have a place to write down the victories that you've had. Because sometimes you need to go back and look at those victories. My God has brought me through this. As my God brought me through this, He will bring me through this. You see, there's a pattern. And God will deliver. The children of Israel, when they ran out of water, cried and moaned and complained that you brought us here to kill us and God brought water out of a rock. They came into another place and the only water that was there was bitter water. And they moaned and complained and God made that water good. And they came to another place and there was no water. And God once again brought water out of the rock. You see, they never learned from the pattern. They never learned that God wants to deliver. God wants to set free. In fact, God even said when they went into the promised land the first time, you have tested me all these times. He says, now you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Learn from the things in the past. If God has delivered you from a bill of $50, God will deliver you from a bill of 100 If God has given you a job that pays better than you had before, then what's to say God does not have a better job for you outside of that? Just because your situation is where it is does not mean that's where it has to stay. If God has delivered you in situations before, He is the God who continues to deliver. 
Don't ever come to him and not learn from those things. Your past should be your springboard. You should be able to look at your past and say, Glory to God. As God has delivered me from the lion, as God has delivered me from the bear, God will deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. Because God follows the pattern. What's the pattern in your life? Whatever rises up against you, you can rise up against it. Instead of waiting for it to run to you, you can run after it. Charge it. Go after it. And go after what you have that is comfortable. Do you know that being comfortable with a sling and a staff brought David more victories than anyone else's armor? Because he was comfortable with it. He established a pattern with it. Now eventually he's going to learn how to use a sword and a shield. And we're going to find out from uh, chapters that go ahead of this. David has, uh, Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his tens of thousands. David was a formidable foe in the battle. And when he was in those battles, he had all his armor on. He wasn't going out with a sling and a staff anymore. See, he learned how to establish a new pattern with new and even better weapons. And instead of taking out one giant here and one lion here and one lamb here, he's taking out tens of thousands. That is amazing. But look at the pattern. Understand that faith is both is all things. It's past, it is present, and it is future. And just because something has happened in the past that makes your present alive with the reality of what God has done. It does not mean that you cannot look on that thing and say, God will deliver this one into my hands. doesn't mean that at all. I can still look at something as being done future, even though I can look at that uncircumcised Philistine and say, he's a dead man walking. Let's just go out and clean this up. Whatever sickness or disease that you're facing, that can be a dead man walking. Whatever situation is coming against you in your life, it cannot hold a candle against what God has because of what has gone on in the past, what He has done in the past, and what He has brought you through in the past. Even though this is bigger than a lion and bigger than a bear, you can still go out with the same confidence that David had. Learn from your lions, learn from your bears. But don't be discouraged when you hit a giant because the same God that brought you through the smaller battles will bring you to the bigger ones. Would you stand up with me? Father, we thank you. You are so great. We could spend our whole life learning about the greatness of our God and still not understand how great He is. I thank you, Father, that you can continue to expand our thinking. Just as you did with David, that you showed him that you are a God who is greater than lions, that you are a God who is greater than bears, and he learned that no matter what he faced, you are greater than that. Even though he faced a giant that was much bigger than him, he caused fear in every fighting man in the army. He knew. He could face it with faith. And David's battles get bigger from here. But his God is still bigger. Father, I thank you that we can meditate on our God 
Meditate on His greatness. Meditate on the, on the Word. And always keep in our minds how great our God is. With every head bowed, if you're here today, if you have a situation that is a giant for you, doesn't matter if it's a giant to someone else, but it is a giant to you. Raise your hand up. I am facing something that is a giant for me. Father God, you see the hands that are up. I thank you, Father, as we come to the grips that we are facing a giant. We are facing something in our life that is bigger than us. At the same time, we can realize it is not bigger than our God. And it is our God who delivers us. We go at, at them with the tools that we have. Just as David went into that battle with a sling and a stick. Because that's what he was used to. Father, we go into our battles with what we have. I don't have to look at brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so and say, I need what they have. I can go into the battle that I face with what I have. And you can bring about victory for it. Constantly in your Old Testament, we see victory after victory with people having really nothing. Gideon had victory with some pots and some fire. Other people had victory by digging ditches. You even saw one king who had a great victory simply by putting praises of God at the forefront. Father, no matter what it is that we have, it can bring about a great victory. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Good morning, church family. It's always so good to see each and every one of you. And um, <clears throat> the message that we've heard, uh, like uh, messages before, learn from the things of the past. And uh, this will certainly be like uh, the others, one that I will be going back and just uh, gleaning from it so that I can see how this can um, help my situation because we've heard a lot of good things today and we just want to go back and glean from that. Um, I want to say um, that we're so thankful that our First Lady, Miss Connie, is back from her trip. And she has a praise report that uh, she's praising God for working in uh, her son's life and the situations that he's facing. God has come through like he does every time we trust him to do that. I have another praise report from Brother Darrell. He says that um, they received uh, a credit of $300 for a missed a mistake made by the phone company. It's always good to get money back from uh, our utilities, so we're praising God with him for that. Um, Sister Ethel uh, was saying this morning that um, well, we saw her just enjoying and praising the Lord with her knee. She said she was dealing with a situation last week with a knee issue, and she wants to let all of us know that she's no longer having an issue with her knee. So we praise God with her for that also. Um, Sister Candy is not here today. She's not feeling well. So just in your prayer time, if you would just remember her and um, just uh, we want to make sure that we are agreeing with one another uh, by way of the scripture 
and um, standing on the promises that we have secure in him that uh, when we uh, reach out and see those scriptures, by his stripes we are healed. We are to do the things that we need to do um, that the Bible has taught us, but then we know that we can uh, depend on God for our healing. So we just stand with her today for that. Um, we ask you that you look in your bulletin. We have a lot of things in the bulletin. One thing especially is our Hallelujah Night, and this is for um, uh, the children can come. I say children. Children young adults can come to the sports center in Chalfont, and it's from 6.30 to 8.30. Um, there's a lot of fun for the children, the kids, and the adults. Um, we have a great time of fellowship. They have laser tag. They have a lot of different things. Yes, even adults with no kids, so um, we're certainly going to be there. And um, just feel free to come and fellowship with us, and um, there's no charge for the event. It's always a lot of fun, so we hope to see each and every one of you there that can make it. Um, you can bring some snacks and food like nacho chips and uh, finger foods, that kind of thing, but just come and um, fellowship with us. We'd love to have you. And finally, um, our sister uh, Vanessa her mom went um, to be with the Lord, and there's a homegoing service for um, Alva Adams. It will be held on Monday, November 4th at Corinthian Baptist Church, and um, they will let you know the time as soon as that is determined. And we're so grateful. Um, we see a soldier um, be elevated to be with the Lord. We thank God for their life, and we know that that life uh, was a good life. We see um, the benefits with Sister Vanessa. She shares in music with us. So we just, you know, we put our arms around her and we embrace her because we'll miss the person, you know, not being able to talk to them and to communicate with them here. But um, there's not a sadness because we know that they are in the presence of our king. And so we rejoice in that. We take strength in that. So um, just when you want to greet one another as we leave today and just, you know, share your love with her and just um, celebrate with her that her mother has gone to be with the Lord. And we know that um, as our time winds up here on this earth, that we will all be together as one big union. But um, she is just going on a little ahead of us. So we thank God for her life. Go today and enjoy the rest of your day. It's kind of rainy out there, but just go and maybe kick your shoes off and have a, a nice time enjoying and enjoy the rest of your week. God bless.